Okay, uh, and welcome to uh, another uh, Sunday class. Um, seems like we're more out of the bunker these days. Uh, we're always trying to, you know, uh, Cindy and I were actually in, in a sacrament meeting in our ward for the first time since February. Uh, we've traveled a little bit, but to be back in our ward for the first time since February was actually quite a quite a nice jump. Um, so sacrament meeting for us was normal, and I got to wrestle with uh, cute grandkids uh, all during church, which is always a, a real plus. So thank you for all of you who are, are continuing to join us, even as uh, we're rolling along here. And obviously next week is general conference. Uh, for uh, those who may be listening to another time, next week is General Conference, and so we won't be recording a class next week. We'll all be watching uh, uh, General Conference while we do that and see what uh, the brethren and sisters have to say about everything that uh, we're going through. And then we'll resume this class then in two weeks after we've had a chance to hear that and maybe even react a little bit to what it is that we hear uh, from them next week. So <coughs> welcome to all of you here. Um, I, uh, and again, it's always fun to see where people are coming from. And thank you for uh, always kind of logging in and saying, hey, we're saying hi from wherever. So that said, um, I wanted to start today. Um, we're going to be talking uh, about uh, the war in heaven and how it uh, continues to roll on. Um, and as we're looking in the first part of uh, Genesis, and really what we're going to get a lot of things out of Moses 5 uh, today from the Pearl of Great Price, there's an interesting little uh, phrase, and I'm going to, it's like one of those, this is going to be one of those times that we're jumping all the way to the end, and then we're going to come back to the beginning and figure out how we got to that end. So let me, let me get you to the end really fast, and then we'll start our walk towards it. And that's this moment. Um, and it says right after Cain has killed Abel, uh, it says, and Cain gloried in what he had done. And then he makes an interesting phrase. And if, 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 if any of us were to ask, wonder what Cain's first words were after he killed Abel. What would be his reaction to someone who's just murdered, really for the, the first time that murder has happened. We don't know if there's been any deaths of the other uh, uh, older children of Adam and Eve that we'll talk about in a minute. But this, is, this appears to be the first time that death has been introduced uh, via murder. Uh, and you wonder what Cain's response to that would be. And he makes a very interesting uh, phrase. And he says, he says basically this, uh, I am free. Of all the things that he could have said, like, wow, that was close, hope, hope nobody finds out, or I uh, can't believe I did that, or uh, whatever he might have said when somebody murders somebody else, for him to say, now I'm free. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about being free, it usually comes when you, you're free after you have been a captive. You're free when you feel like you have been trapped or unable to move, and now you've been freed from that thing, and now you are free to do whatever you really want to do. 
which really then kind of begs the question here, and maybe this is why we're now going to look at this in three acts, and we're going to figure out how we got here. But the act of Cain killing Abel is an act of saying, I felt trapped, I felt constrained, I felt uh, captured. Uh, and the only way that I could go from feeling imprisoned to feeling free is to kill my brother. Now that ought to raise all kinds of questions about what did he feel trapped by? And what enclosed him? And what was it that he was so bothered by that the only way he could get past this was to murder his brother? That's, that's an incredible leap. Um, so I want to walk us there. Now let's go back. I want to walk us there kind of almost like an act, or it's a play in three acts. Um, and we're going to review a couple of things. And as, as Latter-day Saints... A lot of this we already know, but let's remind ourselves a little bit of the things that, that we do know. Uh, now, as the curtain rises in, in, in uh, May of 1844, maybe it's late, late April, Joseph Smith speaks at the, in Nauvoo at the funeral of a friend of his, um, and of King Follett, who was digging a well, a rock fell on him, and then Joseph used that occasion just a few weeks before he was killed uh, to really kind of put a capstone on everything that he had ever taught uh, in the King Follett discourse. And actually, the King Follett discourse at that funeral was actually one of the things that got him killed because of the expansiveness of this. He kind of, and he's going to say, I will pull back the curtains. And we're going to look at God, yonder enthroned, and there he is. And let me tell you about who he is. And those remarks were pretty controversial then. They're still controversial now um, in, in their expansiveness in the way that we look at it. But here, here's what he says. God himself, finding that he was in the midst of spirits and glory, because he was more intelligent saw proper to institute laws whereby the rest of those intelligences could have a privilege to advance like himself. In terms of traditional Christianity, this is light years ahead of everybody else. Because what he's just saying is that all of those that God lived before and that we lived before and that God didn't create our intelligences. They existed along with God. Well, that's, that's quite a jump, uh, to, rather than saying God created people out of the dust of the earth and at that moment they were created. And he's going, no. He fi finding himself that he was in the midst of spirits, intelligence, and glory because he was more intelligent. Now he's going to put together laws so that they could advance like he is. And what he's going to say is, he says, the relationship we have with God places us in a situation to advance in knowledge. It was about gaining knowledge. That if He says, if I can help them gain more knowledge, they can be like him. So from the very beginning, this is a God who says, who's not jealous of the fact that they might be like him. His, his plan is that he wants these intelligences to become like him. He has gained in knowledge, 
and he wants them to also gain in knowledge. And then he's going to say, he has powers to institute laws to instruct the weaker intelligences that they may be exalted with himself so that they may have one glory uh, upon another uh, which is requisite to save them in the world of spirits. That really salvation and exaltation would be based on knowledge and he put a plan together that would do just that. That would bring them the knowledge that they really needed to have. Well, for whatever else that Joseph might have borrowed from existing Christianity at the time, this was, this was a shot in the dark. This takes it way beyond any of that. Um, and again, was, was quite a shock. Uh, so, what we get is the curtain rises in, in our pre-mortal existence. What we have is a divine plan from God to exalt those other weaker intelligence, he says, and give them the knowledge necessary for them to be exalted and live like he lives. Uh, now, in doing that, there will be two offers that are going to be made here. Um, now, God's plan of joy was that he would provide a world that would have choices, the ability to make decisions right or wrong, so that his children could learn to taste the bitter and so value the sweet. They had to have the ability to choose uh, falsely. And that then choosing and then being able to recognize it and be transformed and accept uh, and understand the sweet, he called that joy. That is the joy, knowing bitter, but choosing the sweet, and that gives us that contrast that enables us to be and love and feel joy like he does. Now, these choices would, would result in being giving these intelligences agency. True agency can only come if there are true choices. We only have freedom to choose when we also have the freedom to choose poorly. But it required that they have agency. So that's why agency then became uh, the most powerful force because it was the thing by which had exalted uh, God the Father. Now, he knew that because there would be death and sin, those choices, the fall, uh, our sins, uh, whatever those that would happen in a messy mortality would result in sin and in death. And so that that death and sin wouldn't be a final eternal death sentence. There will, would need to be a sacrifice and it would have to be a sacrifice of blood because blood would be shed by death, uh, by sin, it would have to be a sacrifice of blood that would equal out what would happen sin-wise. And this sacrifice of this magnitude could only be made by the one who would execute the plan of happiness. It would take a God to do that. Um, and, and so the, the end result is that everything God has and had experienced knowledge-wise, if this plan was executed, 
everything he had would be given to these intelligences who would become like him. That's why the Savior over and over said, all that the Father has will be yours. And he would say, that is Father's plan, that in my Father's house are many mansions, many places. He wants you to be there. He wants you to be part of him and experience and gain everything that he has. Keep, the, keep in mind that word gain because that's going to that's gonna come up quite a few times here uh, along the way. Now, that's, and so the offer is, as we know, uh, that the Savior then stepped up and he, as the, own, the, uh, the beloved firstborn, that he would execute that plan. And, and as we know, there was a second offer. It wasn't a second plan, but it was uh, an offer that was a rebellion against the plan and would destroy the agency. And we're going to call that the Mahan plan, uh, as we'll talk about in a second. It's the keeper of the secret. Okay? Now, Lucifer, one of the sons of, of light, one of the sons of the morning, and we don't really know what that means. Were there other sons of the morning and he was like one of the quorum of the twelve kind of thing because it talks about the the sons he, he was a son of the morning don't know if that's singular title or group but there but there it is but this gives you some idea of the magnitude of his uh, level of knowledge and understanding to a certain point uh, in that pre pre-mortal world that now the the offer was is that he and he alone would gain all of God's possessions. I want all of this stuff, all of the people, and I want your honor. He and he alone would gain all of God's possessions and God's honor. Now, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold offering, and it's a pretty bold ask. Um, and as a result of that, as it turned out, if if that unworkable plan, because it would not have passed eternal laws, a topic for another time, was not a tenable plan. God's children could not sin because they would have no agency. And the the result of that though that they don't they might not have understood that third that followed him but having no joy if they had no agency they would have no joy and actually it wouldn't wouldn't know misery either because there would be nothing to compare it to so in lehi's words to jacob they would have no joy for they knew no misery and they would do no good for they knew no sin. They could not be exalted because they had never had a chance to work through that and again uh, prized, prized the sweet because they had known the bitter. They wouldn't know either one. And in return, he's going to gain possession and that word possession is going to come up in a second along with gain and honor. Now, of course, as a result of all of this, then, that's going to be rejected. Um, and so, because P 
part of this, and maybe his motivation behind it, I want to be the executor, but boy, that crucifixion thing, that doesn't look like that would be fun at all, right? So his offer then would exclude, it would eliminate the key element of the plan, and that is the, the eternal blood sacrifice that would need to be made by the executor of, of the plan. There would be no blood sacrifice. And simply his gain of all of God's glory would come by taking it from everybody else. His gain would be everybody else's loss. And again, a third of the people said that, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. And away they went. Okay, Obviously we know that plan is rejected um, and, and we move forward. Now, so here is Joseph Smith taking traditional Christianity and moving not just what happened to the garden in the garden, but moving it far backward into an antiquity that none of us recall. Because ultimately, for traditional Christians and Jews, when they look at the Garden of Eden and they look at Cain and Abel, there are way too many holes here. Way too many guesses. What? And, 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 and again, like we talked last time, that's sometimes people looking at reading the first part of Genesis, I think I'll read the Bible, and they go, okay, this creation thing, and then there's a snake and fruit, and and then this, and then, so Cain and Abel, uh, they're like the first two kids of Adam and Eve, and and the oldest one kills the younger one uh, right off the bat, but then he marries his sister. Where'd the sister come from? It's not in there. That's that's a hole. And why would you know? And and if that was God's plan, he really messed that one up badly. And so that's why they look at it and they go, "Okay, I read the Bible and became an agnostic." That's too weird. And there's too many holes, and it doesn't make sense. Now I do <laughs> I do have to tell you though that. Uh, when, because of all of the holes, I went back and I read some of the Jewish uh, Mish- Mishnah, the the um, guesses and the traditions about what happened with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and uh, and boy oh boy, you know you give them you give people enough holes and time to think, and they're going to come up with a lot of weirdness, and they do. And we're not going to go into all that weirdness, but just let, but just know that because there were all these holes in the Bible, it just didn't make sense that there weren't any other kids around, and and uh, and those offering things. There's those two offerings, you know, and God's going to like Abel's, but He's not going to like Cain's. Uh, that's kind of an arbitrary God, especially when Cain is doing the same thing his dad did. And, Abel and you know what? Why would he do that? And that's a subjective God. We don't like this God of the Old Testament. Quite frankly, he does weird things and he doesn't give us any explanations. And the beauty of restoration theology, coming from Joseph Smith and and modern prophets, is the ability for us to understand the big picture, not get caught up in all of these pitfalls, of all of these places that just where there were just conundrums and holes 
in in the story. So let's let's roll this back a little bit farther then and and uh, if we're going to go from here we get a chance to see that act two that's in the garden of eden uh, that there was a plan in place and it appears as we look at it that it result that it, first of all that they eat, they needed to first eat of the tree of knowledge uh, that was going to be the goal if that was the way that the lord had framed it that the first thing that they needed to do was gain knowledge, and that knowledge would propel them into a mortality where those lessons could be learned. So it was critical that, that uh, with that scenario, that, 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 that they advanced by eating of the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. And then mortality would come after. And that finally, at some point, think about uh, Lehi's dream in, in 1 Nephi 8, at some point after mortality there will be an opportunity to eat of the tree of life. Uh, Alma 32 talks about that tree of life growing within us, what ends up being a faith and, and all of that. Okay, A lot of beautiful symbolism around uh, the tree of life. That seemed to have been the plan. Okay, Now, into the middle of that, here comes here comes uh, Lucifer and his rejected plan from, from uh, the councils in, in the pre-mortal life, and he's now going to try and force it and wedge it in to earth life. He brings the Mahan plan with him. And what's that going to be? Lucifer brings the Mahan plan, and that's knowledge of a hidden secret. His way to, uh, to be able to kind of seduce Eve into thinking uh, some things about God was this. He's going to say, you don't know that this is, eating of this fruit is how God got to be who he is. And then the beguiling behind that is God had a secret of eating that tree and he didn't want you to have it. That's why in so many cases, the word Satan means the great accuser. And in this case, he's accusing God of trying to spin it so that God doesn't want you to be like him. The exact opposite of what, what the Lord wanted. God doesn't want you to be like him. He hid this knowledge from you. This is the way they got it. They're trying to keep the secret from you. And I'm going to tell you the secret. And it'll be your gain. You, you do it my way. You'll get the fruit and it's good to eat. It's delicious to the taste. You're going to have knowledge. All those things they didn't want you to have. You'll gain. And, and God's uh, great secret will be exposed. Uh, you'll kind of you'll win here. Okay, Do it my way. Now, interestingly enough, here comes the second part of his plan, is that when they do eat of that, that tree of knowledge, now sin has been introduced. And remember, the initial plan for Lucifer involved an offer of, we're going to do something, but, I, but we're going to eliminate Christ from the plan. 
We're going to re- eliminate the Redeemer. So we're going to cover your sin without a blood sacrifice. You should make fig leaves. Cover yourself up. Uh, the word covering, kapoor, uh, is the kaput, the covering of a uh, of a Jewish man's uh, that 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 skull cap is kaport, uh, is, and it means a covering, and and the atonement, the day of atonement, the day of kapoor, is to be a day of a covering of our sins, and there's a lot of symbolism, but in essence, what he's trying to do is say. Okay, uh, yeah, you, you did sin, and we can cover it up without a blood sacrifice. That will go well. Uh, we would like that a lot. Do, do the fig leaf thing, and I promise you, that will work. Now, here's, here's then what he's going to do. Um, because what's going to happen here... Uh, let me pop back here for a sec. Ultimately... As the plan moves forward, remember that that God is going to make for Adam and Eve coats of skin. And I still remember sitting in the temple uh, one evening uh, and and watching and thinking, and then it, and then hitting me something I should have. I don't know why I missed it all this time. But sometimes we hear kind of the the endowment story over and over, and we miss things. And I suddenly sat up at the end of my chair and said. Wait a minute, where did, the, where did the coats of skin come from? Because it says that God gave Adam and Eve a coat of skin. Where did that come from? And then I thought, oh, they would have had to have sacrificed an animal to create coats of skin to give to Adam and Eve. And realizing that by tradition... Traditionally, that coat of skin was probably a lamb skin. And then realizing that in all likelihood that maybe the father was helping the son realize some things. What are the chances then, I thought, that maybe it was the lamb that sacrificed the lamb, a lamb, to provide coats of skins? But regardless, it would have taken a sacrifice of blood to provide those skins. As they left the Garden of Eden, they were wearing a kapoor, a covering that had come to them as a result of the shedding of blood in their behalf to cover their nakedness. And what Lucifer was trying to do here was to was to create an atonement for sin that didn't involve the sacrifice of blood. Even though he's going to try and twist that and make his reign on earth one of blood and terror. So now we get so so now we get this this uh, part as we go into Moses 5. And we've already seen in this Act 3 that it says that the first part that Adam and Eve had many children prior to Cain and Abel answers that question that Christianity doesn't have. There were many, there were many children ahead of that. It's interesting that they're not named. That we don't have the names of Adam and Eve's first kids. 
because and, and we know that they immediately then followed Satan and they in essence they lose generations of these kids the fact that we're going to have Cain's name says a lot about that there was a higher expectation especially on the part of Mother Eve for who Cain would be and so they really are going to write this down for the first time uh, what the, these kids names and who they were now the other thing I want to show you is kind of fascinating. Hebrew writers, one of the things that makes Hebrew writing interesting is word plays. And they love word plays and word puns and words that relate to each other. Uh, and in this case, it even, it even uh, shows itself even in English. But look at what's going to happen. It's going to say in Moses 5.16, and now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Now, this knowledge, uh, and, and we, it's a term that's used in, in the Bible a lot, that, that carnal knowledge, you know, of uh, Adam knew his wife uh, as a uh, kind of a symbol for intimacy, that there was going to be intimate knowledge, and the word that we're going to say is knew, Meaning it's close, it's very intimate, um, and and we're going to know things that that other people aren't going to know. So there is a bit of a secret here, right? And and this idea of Adam knew his wife, she bears Cain, and Cain is going to hearken not to the Lord, and he's going to say. Who is the Lord that I should know him? That, the word play is know and know. It means not just know about God, but who is God? What can he do for me that I'm going to take the time and energy and effort to come to know him intimately? Know who he is. Remember the, the term that is used like Moses saw God face to face. The belief is, is that face-to-face -face phrase is that we're going to know somebody so intimately that you can feel their breath on your cheek. It is an intimate knowledge and, and in, the, in the same way that e, Adam came to know his wife really, really well, that Cain is refusing to come to, to an uh, intimate knowledge of who God is, what he wants. And obviously Lucifer had done the same thing because it says that Lucifer didn't know the mind of God. He didn't know God. He knew of him, but he didn't know him. And we're gonna, what's going to be established here is that Cain is not going to choose to know him. Um, now, there's another word play here. Um, and that is with the word Cain. Uh, if you look up the Hebrew word for, uh, for Cain, uh, Cain, it means possession. I have gotten, I have, I have gained something from God. I have gained a man of God, and I will call him uh, uh, my gain, really. Is, and, and that's why it even works in, in English as a word pun. I have gained Cain. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Cain gain. Uh, and and this idea of a possession and naming Cain 
someone that I have gained from God uh, is really a, is, is quite a wordplay in Hebrew. And and when when it turns out that Cain is not going to want to know that know God very well, and it says she conceived again and bare his brother Abel. So now you get this younger son, and he and Abel hearkened to the voice of the Lord, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. Hold on to that word keeper. We're going to get there in a second. Another word play. Uh, and this Genesis is full of these. Uh, but now suddenly we have what will be a universal within all of the Old Testament. That's going to be the older son who should bear the birthright who should be the one to carry father's name and love God the way that his father does and then rebels. And the younger brother will be the righteous one and that tension between the righteous younger brother and the angry rebellious older brother will play out over and over and over with Jacob and Esau and uh, and even the Savior in his parable of the prodigal son is going to give you the older son who's not quite following uh, this younger son who becomes righteous comes back and then the older son has a problem you know it's the older younger brother and we get it in the Book of Mormon with Laman and Lemuel older and angry Nephi more righteous and they're trying to kill him and this pattern plays out over and over and in another class we'll talk about that maybe about what that tension maybe uh, was intended to mean uh, but Cain is going to love Satan more than God Satan's going, to com- Satan's going to command him make an offering unto the Lord remember in the in the pre-mortal life there were two offerings uh, how to fulfill what God wanted done and Lucifer is going to provide an offering uh, that that will result in taking God's honor the Savior is going to make an offering of himself that would be a sacrifice ultimately of blood Satan's going to push the mayhem plan forward uh, in the process of time it says over time so this didn't happen overnight in the process of time Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground and an offering unto the Lord. It was an offering that did not require the shedding of blood. And you get these echoes of, the, of our pre-mortal offerings. Make an offering, but not, not that animal sacrifice that the angel showed your mom and dad how to make. Let's show how to do an offering that doesn't involve the shedding of blood. We'll just do it's it's your you're a tiller of the ground. Your your stuff should be good enough. Let's just go ahead and do your that's gonna be your best. We're not gonna do it God's way, we're gonna do it your way. Who are you to know God? You have a better way. That's dumb to sacrifice a lamb. Let's let's just let's just sacrifice the corn. That that would obviously be be better. Okay. Now and Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock. He's following God's and the angel's commandment. And the fat thereof, the best. 
And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, and unto Cain and his offering he did not respect, and Satan knew this and was glad. It pleased him. And so now you get, there's a reason, in the Bible there's no explanation for why it is that God rejected Cain's offering. We know exactly from restoration theology why it is that God rejected Cain's offering because it was not the sacrifice of blood in similitude of the only begotten of the Father. It was a mockery of the Savior's coming blood sacrifice. And then what you're going to see is that Satan is going to try and turn Cain almost godlike, that he gets to decide who he's going to sacrifice. There will be a shedding of blood, but it's going to be one that results in gain for you. I mean, it's a, you're going to take the whole plan and turn it upside down on this. That, that, that's why if you see this, you, you see that what Cain, what's happening with Cain and Abel is an extension of what happened in the garden, and that is an extension of what happened in the premortal councils. They're all tied in together. It's the playing out of mortality, but it is symbolically being repeated over and over again. Okay? Now, so here comes the great secret. It's the Mahan plan. And Cain said, truly, I am Mahan. You know, this is before he even kills Abel. I am Mahan, the master of this great secret. What is the great secret that Satan is whispering in his ear? There's a way for you to gain, Cain. There's a way for you to gain possessions. That's your name, the possessor. The master of the great secret that I may murder and get gain. I will shed blood. Remember, there is a shedding of blood thing, that blood sacrifice, but I get to decide who I'm going to murder, and because of that, I will get gain. And remember, somewhere in here is, and I will be free. Wherefore, Cain was called Master Mahan, not just knower of the secret, but the master of the secret. Okay? And he gloried in his wickedness. He was glad. As Satan was glad in him, he was glad that he was now the master mayhem, and so now he's going to get to feel uh, it's like this false pride on, on his wickedness, and it's a secret most people don't know. Abel doesn't know this secret. I'll bet mom and dad don't know this secret. My older brothers and sisters that have gone, they're off doing dumb and stupid things. They don't know my secret. I know the secret secret. By the way, side note, there was a whole line of Christianity after the death of the apostles called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was based on the idea of secret knowledge that Jesus imparted secret knowledge to his apostles. And they knew the secret, didn't know exactly what it was, but the Gnostics were about secrets. Okay? So, anyway, Cain now goes into the field. Uh, Cain talked with his brother Abel. 
It's going to kind of set it up. Uh, his brother came to pass that while they were in the field, out in there in the world, that Cain rises up against his brother and, and slays him. And, and actually, uh, and now he's putting forth the plan. In other words, this secret thing, Abel didn't know I was coming to kill him. Very mafia-like, isn't it? Uh, of we're going to keep the secrets and it'll be secret deaths. You know, think about uh, Nephi in uh, 3rd Nephi. Uh, we're going to kill off the chief judges. They're not going to know what's going on and nobody know who committed the, the murder uh, because we're the master mayhands. We're the keeper of the great secrets. And, and certainly there's no shortage of those kind of master mayhannery. Uh, yes, that's actually a word. Uh, Master May Henry uh, among different peoples uh, and that it's been used to great effect to do what? To get gain. And Cain gloried in what, had, what he had done and that's when he's going to say I am free. I, didn't, I wasn't free until I was able to gain. I'm going to feel trapped until I want whatever I want and I will murder to get what I want. And surely now, surely, the flocks of my brother falleth into my hands. I will have freedom when I have more gain. I'm just the, the, think about think about kids that you know, for instance, is just they're just dying because they don't have a phone yet, or they're dying because they don't yet have a car, or they're just falling apart because they got to have this cereal. I'm, I'm miserable until I'm free. I finally get my right cereal. I will be miserable until you cut my sandwich in triangles and not in squares. And I'll be miserable until I'm finally free because I got my right sandwich or I got my car or I got to date. Or, I mean, childhood is all about I am trapped because I don't get what I want. And so much of the world these days is, is about this. And the Lord says unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Am I the shepherd over my brother in the same way he was of his sheep? Am I my brother's keep? Do I keep him? Do I protect him? Do I shepherd him? Do I defend him? him the ultimate lie but ultimately with that it was surely about um, gain so as we start wrapping this up a um, couple of things that I think we take from all of this and that is that our understanding that uh, the father initially instituted a plan whereby we would gain. What would we gain? A little bit? A little kingdom? A little glory? That's not what the Father had in mind. What the Father had in mind was, that, was eternal gain. All that I have will be yours. All the knowledge that I have will be yours. I want you to be filled with glory as I'm filled with glory. I want you to joy the way I joy. 
and I will put together everything. Uh, I will sacrifice my son for you to joy and to feel that eternal happiness that has no end. And whatever it will take, I will do. And that will be my work. And my glory comes from your eternal life and your eternal joy. Now, what what the great accuser Satan would have us believe is that we can gain without sacrifice. Our ability to joy rests on an eternal sacrifice that was made on the cross. And it required the sacrifice of blood the greatest the, the blood of the greatest man ever to walk the earth and ultimately that gain any gain that is eternal in nature will require sacrifice sacrifice of our selves sacrifice of our mortal tendencies a sacrifice of our time talents and everything that the Lord has given us. He will require a sacrifice of that. What he's saying is, uh, you need to take up your cross, meaning, this ain't an easy way. Few there be that find it, because this is hard. Christianity is hard. If Christianity is easy, brother, you got it, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> This is not supposed to be an easy way because our, our sacrifice of everything that it may require of us is the kind of thing that echoes in some ways the great eternal sacrifice. Joseph Smith said very clearly, a religion that cannot uh, require, does not require the sacrifice of all things from its people does not have the ability to save them. Let me say that again. A religion that does not have the capacity to require the sacrifice of all things from its people does not have the ability to save them. And that's kind of my words, but uh, paraphrasing his words. Finally, um, and that gain that we will receive does not come at the sacrifice of others. Our sacrifice will be on par and we're going to sacrifice for others if we will have eternal increase come on moms and dads if we would have eternal increase if we'd have mortality increase it requires the sacrifice from a from a mom and a dad they have to sacrifice a lot of things you have to even make the sacrifice. I remember at one time thinking, if I'm going to take kids to church, I'm going to make the eternal sacrifice of never having a white shirt that doesn't have a spit-up mark on it. Or never have a chance to sit through a sacrament meeting without having to haul somebody out. And then the other thing is the sacrifice of the pain and sadness that comes as our kids make heavy-duty choices, some of which we wish they wouldn't make. That sacrifice comes at all levels. Brothers and sisters, there is eternal gain to be had. 
there is eternal increase that a loving God wants us to participate in. This eternal gain, though, will not come at the cost of others, but it will come at the cost of our sins and of our desires and of our time and effort. But it will result in our gain eternally and the gain of those that we love most. I bear you my testimony that the Lord intends us to have everything that he has if we will simply but sacrifice for that. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.